0: Welcome in, everybody, to a special Encore episode of the Dynamic Dialogue podcast. Today, I am joined by world-renowned sleep specialist, Dr. Amy Bender. Dr. Bender works with athletes at the highest level of sport, including the NFL and NBA, to optimize sleep for performance. For those of you who are fitness enthusiasts looking to lose body fat, looking to live healthier lives, sleep is a huge huge piece of that puzzle. Dr. Bender and I talk all about how to optimize sleep for performance, how to nap perfectly so you always wake up rested, and tips and tricks to make sure that your sleep is not just recuperative, but consistent. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, you guys, welcome into another episode of the Dynamic Dialogues podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Amy Bender. Dr. Bender is a senior research scientist at Calgary Counseling Center and an adjunct professor of kinesiology at the University of Calgary. She received her PhD and Master of Science degrees in experimental psychology from Washington State University, specializing in sleep. She has helped develop an validate sleep systems and screening tools for athletes implemented for sleep optimization. The only validated sleep screening tool by the way. Her strategies have been used by numerous teams including the Canadian Olympic team and professional teams in the NHL and NBA to name a few organizations. Her current interests and focuses are on how sleep and exercise interventions can help improve mental health outcomes. So today you'll hear me and Dr. Bender riff on a lot of things sleep-related, including, but not limited to, how many hours a night do you truly need to sleep? Can some people get away with less? What are the different stages of sleep and how do they impact your performance? Can sleep impact body composition directly or indirectly? and how to nap like a pro. Just a few. Now, before we get into it, if at any point during this podcast you go, holy smokes, that's a good tip. I really want to implement that. Do me a favor, screenshot the podcast at that timestamp, and just share it to your Instagram story because it might help someone else. And be sure to tag me uh, so I can say thanks. So without further ado, here's my sit-down conversation with Dr. Amy Bender. Enjoy. Amy, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. So really quick, just to start, I want to uh, hit a question that I think a lot of people will benefit from, and that's just debunking the three biggest myths and misconceptions about sleep, how it impacts performance, uh, and really anything in that avenue, but really really highlighting and misconceptions around sleep.
1: Yes uh, I would say the biggest misconception out there is that everyone needs eight hours of sleep so for an adult the recommendation is a minimum of seven hours so you want to hit the range you want to hit somewhere between seven and nine hours of sleep Um, but not everyone needs eight hours necessarily so there's a lot of variability in the amount of sleep that you need um, with kind of seven hours being the minimum that you want to aim for. Now, if you're an athlete, obviously there's more demands um, physically and mentally. So it's going to be more, definitely more than that seven hour mark. But um, for those of us, you know, really, let's say there's someone out there who's trying to get eight hours, but they, go to sleep naturally, wake up naturally after, you know, seven and a half. I wouldn't fret over that that, uh, last half hour. So that would be one major myth, I would say. Another myth uh, that I hear a lot is that snoring isn't a big deal. Um, But what we see in the research is that about 50% of snores have obstructive sleep apnea, which is a very debilitating disorder where you stop breathing in the middle of the night and can really impact your health and your health outcomes. So, um, if you're a snorer, if you stop breathing during the middle of the night, I would say definitely get that checked out from a sleep professional. And then the third one I would say is probably, uh, people that think that hitting the snooze button is a good idea. So um, many of us will set our alarms and, you know, want to sleep in a little bit more. So that alarm goes off, they hit that snooze button, and then maybe fall asleep pretty quickly again. But what that alarm is doing is it's interrupting that sleep cycle that you're having. And so it may be It's um, bringing you out of those deeper stages of sleep. And so the best thing you can do is just set that alarm at the latest time possible, um, you know, if you do have to get up by an alarm clock.
0: That's, That's actually really interesting because I know a lot of people, I'm sure you do too, who kind of proactively set several snooze alarms so they can hit them. I know a lot of people who, who know when they need to wake up, so they'll set alarms just so they can snooze up to that point. And they say it feels really good to hit that snooze button. <laughs> is there something going on there in the brain with, with going back to sleep after that? Why, people, why do people seem to enjoy that so much? That is
1: a great question. I'm not actually sure um, if there's something satisfying within the brain of just hitting that snooze button and being able to fall asleep, you know, get back into the stages of sleep. But yeah, ideally, you want to set that alarm just for that latest time that you can and just get up after the alarm goes off, because then you're not interrupting that sleep cycle that you're in. And um, interestingly, there was some research about the selection of the alarm alarm noise. So more melody, more harmonious, you know, not that harsh beeping sound um, actually puts people in better moods and um, affects their alertness. So if you, when you do have to set that alarm, pick more of a, a less harsh type of noise.
0: That's actually a, that's a great little golden nugget for everybody out there who wakes up to the iPhone duck quacking sound um really quick before we move on to the next question you said that the myth of you know needing x number of hours per sleep but then you did highlight that range of seven to nine what percentage of people would you say uh can really perform well outside of that range in that like six hour of sleep area because a lot of people say oh i only need five hours is that really true or is that a small percentage of the population
1: that's a great question. The, um, about a third of us are not hitting that seven-hour mark. Um, so this is an area that people need to work on. Um, just because of all of the busyness of how busy we are, uh, first, uh, sleep is kind of the first thing to go once we get busier and busier. We just try and, you know, stay up later to try and get things done. And then that negatively impacts how much sleep that we're getting. Um, But when we look at the percentage of people that can perform well on, you know, have no performance decrements, it's typically about less than 1% of the population can perform well on six hours or less of sleep per night. Uh, There was one study showing, it was looking at specific mutation in a gene and they found a father-son duo who were uh, sleeping five hours, four and a half hours, had no memory impairments, had no performance impairments from this, ended up being a genetic mutation that they had. And when they looked at that genetic mutation across the entire population, it's literally like one in four million people that have this mutation. So If you think you're doing fine on less sleep, the chances that you actually are are very low, and our brain is is, um, kind of leading to that effect. So we think we're performing well in the studies with sleep deprivation, but when you actually look at their performance, they're, they're
0: performing horribly. That's interesting. So the perception that people have of perhaps needing less sleep doesn't actually show up. It's more of just you kind of get used to that level of performance and that becomes your baseline. So that's new norm. Yeah. Yeah. That leads into a, the next question I have for you, which I think a lot of people, they know they need to sleep more. They've heard that it's valuable. But for people who are fitness enthusiasts, lifters, athletes of any kind, like what are some of the most tangible uh, ways that sleep impacts your performance, your body composition, all of that stuff? Is, it, is there really some tangible things that people can look forward to if they improve their sleep? Yes. So reaction time is a big one. So we see
1: in the sleep deprivation studies that reaction time is impacted. So you're slower to react to a stimulus you make you have more lapses in attention where you don't react to the stimulus. You know, after a second or so, um, it also impacts our decision making. So when you're sleep deprived, you take riskier you make riskier decisions. Uh, number one impacts our mood. So uh, sleep deprivation can impact our mood, and when we're performing a sport, you know. Uh, we want to be in, an, in a good mood, an optimal mood state, which will help our performance. Also, the studies have shown um, better sprint times with, with more sleep. So it can impact how uh, fast you are on just sprinting as, uh, along with that reaction time. Those are just a few of the kind of direct measures that we see for athletes If we look at more indirect measures, we know that poor sleep is associated with a higher injury risk, also associated with with immunity. So if you're getting poor sleep, you're going to be more likely to catch a virus, a cold, um, which you want to be healthy and be out there on the field. And then also nutrition choices as well, which we can dive a little bit deeper into body composition and nutrition if
0: you want no yeah I like that a lot I think that the direct measures particularly the sprinting um, is of it, it is worth hitting and on and really noting because sprinting is a very power driven activity. And for anybody who's lifting weights, like that's also very power driven. And if you're going to see a decrease in sprint outputs, I don't think it would be too great of a kind of inference to assume it would also impact other high power things like weightlifting. And then on those more indirect things, the way it can impact immunity and even decision making, like those are things that allow you to stay active and stay moving towards your goals. So if you have those compromised, they might not directly hurt your performance, but they'll certainly, uh, they'll certainly impact how much you can train and work towards your goals. So with that decision-making stuff, I'm sure that plays a little bit into body composition, right? Because if we're not making good decisions, it probably impacts the nutritional choices we make. But are there other factors with nutrition and body composition that are tied to sleep that people should be aware of? Yes,
1: we see poor generally. What we now there's not a lot of research out there on this, but from what I could gather, um, poor sleep quality is associated with lower uh, lean body mass and higher fat mass. So if we if we kind of unpack that a bit. Um, What we'll see is with less sleep, we see uh, less growth hormone is being released. So um, during sleep, we have deep sleep that's occurring. And this is typically where growth hormone is released, where tissues and muscles are being repaired. So with less sleep, we typically see less growth hormone being released. We also see less testosterone being released as well. There was one study where they had participants sleep five hours a day for one week, and they found about a 15% reduction in testosterone, which if we look at normal aging, you know, maybe one to 2% per year uh, testosterone reduction. So that would equate to, you know, about a 24-year-old aging to that of a 40-year-old in a matter of a week when we're looking at testosterone.
0: Wow. Is that because those hormones are synthesized during sleep, or is there there another reason for that?
1: Uh, If we look at growth hormone specifically, about 70% of growth hormone is released during sleep. So I think that, yes. So I think that plays a lot into this, is that a lot of these hormones are being released during sleep.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off back to the, uh, the beyond kind of the hormonal stuff with body composition, fat mass and lean mass. Um, it, let's say somebody's in a, uh, calorie deficit where their intake of calories is limited. Uh, does sleep play a bigger role for those people?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we look at, you know, appetite hormones, for example, so ghrelin is increased with sleep, so you feel hungrier. Leptin is decreased, um, you know, so you feel less full. Um, And then we see an overall kind of gravitation towards more calories consumed during sleep. So there's about a 400. Uh, if you look at all the literature on sleep loss they find about an average of 400 calories increased due to sleep loss so um so yeah i think it's a, it's related a lot to the hormones also cortisol is increased with sleep deprivation which is related to muscle muscle breakdown as well um so yeah i think it's a number of different things that are occurring during sleep mostly related to the hormones but then has downstream effects as to what you're actually consuming
0: so it would be safe to say that anybody who's getting lackluster sleep is probably creating a hormonal environment that's very suboptimal uh, for performance absolutely and with the decision making stuff uh, are there examples in the literature particularly correlated with food choices uh, and sleep loss? Do people – I know you said there's about 400 calories more that people eat when they are deprived of sleep. Is that just purely because they're more hedonistic maybe, or is it really, does it really come down to the fact that they are just making poor decisions?
1: So it's related, what they see is they see less uh, vegetable and fruit intake with sleep deprivation. There's more of a craving for carbs, fats, sugary foods is what some of the research has found. Um, And yeah, so that's, uh, uh, and also an increase in snacking in the late evening. So it's also the timing of that consumption as well.
0: That's interesting. Would you is are there um, particular times if if sleep and optimizing sleep is something you're focusing on, um, is intake of food going to impact your ability to sleep? So, for example, if I am somebody who eats very late at night, close to going to bed, is that going to impact my sleep positively or negatively? Do we know uh, anything from the research about when we eat? Uh, towards closer to bed uh, impacting our sleep
1: yes there is uh, research to show you know one of the sleep hygiene tips that you'll see out there is to not eat too close to bedtime and in particular you know when we're dealing with athletes and we're a little bit um, more lenient in this area we still recommend that you shouldn't eat a large meal within three to four hours of bedtime, but potentially adding in a little snack right before bed may not be as a big of an issue for people. So trying to limit those big meals to earlier in the day, and then if you're really starving before bedtime, maybe have a little bit of a snack. Nothing spicy, nothing fatty, because um, you know, our body needs to rest and digest during uh, during sleep. Or, sorry, our body needs to rest during sleep. And if we're digesting the food that we just consumed, you know, that's it's shown to decrease our sleep quality.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I, I I feel, just from my own experience, fattier foods tend to digest more slowly, and spicy foods could cause digestive distress that might impair sleep. Um, would you say that with the populations that you work with, having a consistent timed meal in the evening meaning i really try to put my dinner at around 6 p.m or 7 p.m three to four hours before would you say that that's a practical thing that people can do daily to really help their sleep
1: absolutely i think um any kind of regularity in our schedules, so even having to do with sleep timing uh, meal timing exercise timing is is good for our body, and so having regular meal times, um, you know, is really important. I, I don't think there's been a lot of research kind of looking at the variability in meal times, um, but I would I would guess that having a regular meal time is going to be important for our body to function properly and to really anticipate when I should be digesting, when should I be sleeping, when should I be awake. And um, as it relates to sleep timing, having a consistent schedule is really important for us to know when we should be awake
0: and when we should be asleep
1: um, as far as like hormones and, and things
0: are concerned. So a lot of those kind of practices tie into that management of the circadian Clock, if you will. Yes. And another one, this is a big one that I find comes up a lot. And that's we know that caffeine has an impact on wakefulness and giving us energy, but um, to what degree does caffeine consumption negatively impact sleep? And are there some parameters or guidelines for caffeine consumption? that you would give to the general population? Because I find that almost everybody, at least here in America, consumes some form of caffeine every single day. Uh, Are there things people need to be aware of when consuming caffeine or caffeinated products?
1: In general, caffeine um, increases the time it takes us to fall asleep. It uh, decreases our continuity of sleep, so we have more little awakenings. And it can also decrease our slow wave sleep, that deep sleep that we're getting. Um, But I would say those effects may be related to how you metabolize caffeine. So there was some research uh, by Dr. Guest showing that um, four milligrams of caffeine prior to a cycling time trial, four milligrams of caffeine per kilogram prior to a cycling time trial, impaired performance by 14 percent in slow metabolizers of caffeine, whereas the fast metabolizers, it actually benefited their performance. So I think there's relationships with performance and sleep as it relates to how you metabolize caffeine. So that's something to throw out there to people that it may not be um, improving your performance that much depending on how you metabolize it. and so if you're more of that slow metabolizer, which is kind of related to your sensitivity of caffeine, um, you may want to restrict your caffeine use to before, definitely before you know, maybe 10 a.m. Um, but I would say in general, we wanna avoid caffeine in the afternoon if possible. And so no coffee past noon Um, maybe adding in a green tea or a black tea in the afternoon if you're really tired. But uh, caffeine use is something that I was an avid coffee drinker during my graduate work. Um, And then just recently, with about a year ago, I completely went off caffeine and am doing more decaf coffee in the morning. Um, Sometimes I'll have green tea, black tea, And it's made a huge difference for me in my sleep quality. So um, I think that's something that people can play around with is, are you needing coffee to get you through the day? Um, What happens? I think more drinking it strategically and not automatically is a good uh, piece of advice for people.
0: What's going on, guys? Coach Danny here, taking a break from the episode to tell you about my coaching company, Core Coaching Method, and more specifically, our one-on-one, fully tailored online coaching program. My online coaching program has kind of been the flagship for core coaching method for a while. Of course, we do have PDF programming and we have app-based programming. But if you want a truly tailored one-on-one experience with a coach like myself or a member of my coaching team, someone who is certified, somebody who has multiple years of experience working with clients in person online, somebody who is licensed to provide a macro nutrition plan, somebody who is actually good at communicating with clients because they've done it for years, whether that be a via phone call, email, text, right? This one-on-one coaching program is really designed to give you all the support you need with custom training designed for you, whether you're training from home, at the gym, around your limitations and your goals, nothing cookie cutter here, as well as easy to follow macronutrition programs that are non-restrictive. You'll get customized support directly from your coach's email, or they'll text you or they'll WhatsApp you. We'll find the communication medium that best supports your goals as well as provides you with the accountability and the expertise you need to succeed, as well as biofeedback monitoring, baked-in accountability support, and all of the stuff that you need from your coach when you check in. We keep our rosters relatively small so that we can make sure you get the best support possible. But you can apply today by going over to corecoachingmethod.com, selecting the online coaching option, and if we have spots available, We'll definitely reach out to you to see if you're a good candidate. And if we don't, we'll put you on a waiting list, but we'll be sure to give you the best shot at the best coaching in the industry. So head over to corecoachingmethod.com and apply for one-on-one coaching with me and my team today. Taking a little break from the action here to tell you about our amazing partner, Seed. Seed makes the best probiotic supplement on the market, bar none. I'm very confident with that because I think that the probiotic space and the gut health space in general is filled with people who have no idea what they're talking about or who are looking to make a buck. This isn't to say your gut health isn't important. In fact, it's probably one of the most important and most intriguing developments we have seen in modern medicine and modern physiology. Our relationship with our guts is critical. It's crucial, and taking care of that by eating a lot of Different plants, a lot of different fruits and vegetables, getting a diverse array of fiber and resistant starches can go a long way, but so can supplementing with a high quality probiotic. Seed makes the best probiotic on the market with 53.6 billion active fluorescent units. These are organisms that are going to be alive and helping transfer a variety of different benefits to the human host. All these things are actually proven to work in humans. These strains work in humans, not rodents. Seed is not uh, cheaping out here by. Providing you with any random strain, they're providing you with strains that help with digestive health, gut immunity, gut barrier integrity, dermatological health, cardiovascular health, micronutrient synthesis, as well as many other things. They're vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, um, nut-free, shellfish-free. So very friendly for those of you who may have a variety of different allergies and who are looking for a supplement you can take that can enhance a variety of different things. I have a very very uh good track record over many, many years of having to deal with things like eczema and having to deal with things like psoriasis on occasion, especially when the weather changes. And I swear to you, since I started taking Seed, I have noticed substantially less of that. And there's four strains included in Seed shown to help with things like atopic dermatitis. So there you go. Not to mention the plethora of strains for the health of your gut. If you're looking to take your gut health to the next level, you can go to Seed.com subscribe for their daily symbiotic. You can take one or two a day. You can share it with a partner. Sometimes you can do that. Um, But it goes a long way. It's the best probiotic supplement on the market. I absolutely love it. And you can use the code Danny15 to save. Back to the show. What's going on, guys? Taking a break from the show to tell you about our amazing partners over at Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs makes a flagship electrolyte product known as LMNT Recharge. Recharge is amazing. It's got bioavailable forms of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, which can really help you train, contract your tissues, and get hydrated. I love having it in the morning before my fasted training because oftentimes I wake up without an appetite, but I want something in my stomach so I'm not flat, I can get a pump and I can get hydrated in the gym and still perform my best. I also love to sip on my recharge when I'm on the golf course or especially when I'm in the sauna. The more you sweat, the more likely it is that you will need to replace valuable electrolytes like sodium, magnesium, and potassium. And while if you have high blood pressure, you might not necessarily be a candidate for electrolyte supplementation, many athletes and active adults need more salt and more electrolytes in their diet than they currently get, especially if they sweat, live in warm climates or humid climates. I found a bunch of different ways to use my recharge, but like I said, I love using it before and during my training whenever I do something active outside, or my sweat rate increases, or when I'm in the sauna. And you can actually try it completely for free. All their best flavors that are totally free of sugar, have only 10 calories, they're sweetened naturally, and they come in amazing flavors, like raspberry salt, orange salt, citrus salt. My favorite is the mango habanero, or mango chili, and the lemon habanero, which I take in the sauna. There's flavors for everybody and you can check them out by going to drinklmnt slash coachdanny. They'll send you every single flavor in an individual packet. You can try them out completely free. Just pay shipping. drinklmnt.com slash Danny. Get your sample pack today completely for free. Just pay shipping. Back to the show. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think that you highlighted some nuances there for people who perhaps were unaware that there's variability in how we metabolize caffeine. And That can explain why some people respond uh, more intensely to it or notice that acute energetic effect. Other people might not. And it also might be why some people can't fall asleep after they have caffeine where other people it doesn't impact their sleep as much. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me If you would share it on your social media, simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. Another question that I have that I think is interesting, given that most people do not get Uh, not most people, but you said about a third of people probably get below that seven to nine hour mark. Uh, Is there any utility to napping? And if there is, are there guidelines as to how to nap uh, effectively or how to nap without waking up feeling incredibly groggy? Because I know that's something that happens a lot. If I nap too long, I wake up and I feel exponentially worse. Um, Do we know anything about napping? Is there any benefit to it at all? Or should people just wait and try to get more sleep that night?
1: Napping is a great tool uh, that people can take advantage of. And those people that nap are more productive than those who don't, even if they're getting a proper amount of sleep per night. So even just a five minute, 10 minute nap is going to boost your productivity, boost your mood, boost your alertness. And so I would recommend napping um, even if you are getting a sufficient amount of sleep at night. But absolutely, it can be a way to supplement for, for you if you're not getting the proper amount of sleep at night. So for example, I use napping when um, maybe, I didn't, maybe I went to bed a little bit later or I got a really poor night's sleep. My kids woke me up in the middle of the night. I'll still, I'll still get up at the same time which is really important for people. You still want to get up at the same time, but I'm going to supplement a nap, which is going to help counteract some of that uh, poor sleep that I got that night. I would say timing of the nap should be between one and 4 PM. That's when we see a a dip in alertness related to our circadian rhythm. And then you also don't want to make it too close to bedtime because that's going to impact, your ability to fall asleep potentially. So keeping it between 1 and 3, 1 and 4 p.m. And then limiting the nap to a short duration is going to help you avoid getting into those deeper stages of sleep where you're going to wake up feeling groggy. So for me, I'll set my alarm for 30 minutes. Take It takes me about 10 minutes to fall asleep. And then I'll have about a 20-minute nap. And I try and wake up naturally from that nap if I can, um, and I feel great, I feel good to go. If, for example, you um, maybe have some shift work where you're not able to get a sufficient amount of sleep at night, you can supplement the following day with a longer nap opportunity. So something around the lines of about 90 minutes, which is about a complete sleep cycle. And that will help we we recommend this a lot for athletes, actually, if we're working with the swimmer who's having to get up at 6am for training, um, we'll recommend more of that longer nap to help supplement some of that lost nighttime sleep because they simply just can't go to bed early enough.
0: That's super interesting. So that that's a huge like nugget of gold to take home there that a uh, twenty to thirty minute nap between one to three or four PM is probably the best time and the best duration. Yes, that's that's solid gold. So, with that, you you brought up now twice um, sleep cycles and different stages of sleep. Um, how many stages of sleep are there, and how long does it take to complete the entirety? Of a sleep cycle, or I guess you would call it a kind of journey through each of those stages. And then, if you feel like expanding on it, what are the differences between those stages of sleep? Because I've heard, I hear all the time people say deep sleep, shallow sleep. Could you expand on that a little bit?
1: Sure. So, um, we cycle through non REM and REM sleep throughout the night. So, non REM, non rapid eye movement sleep and then REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep where we're primarily dreaming. And we'll start off in a lightest stage of sleep, stage one, uh, non REM one, which takes up about 5% of our sleep time. We'll then go into stage two, which is a bigger chunk of our overall sleep time, takes up about 50% of our sleep time across the night. And then we'll get into that deepest stage of sleep, stage three, where the growth hormone is being released um, and where we it's really hard to wake someone up during that sleep. So we'll go from non-REM one to two to three. We might cycle back into two and then we may have a couple awakenings that you wouldn't even remember during the night. And then we'll get into stage REM sleep, that rapid eye movement sleep where we're primarily dreaming. um, And that's gonna occur approximately 90 minutes after we fall asleep, and we'll have a lot of our deeper stages of sleep, uh, stage three occurring in the first half of the night, where we'll have a lot of that REM sleep occurring in the last half of the night, although we we cycle through non-REM and REM throughout the night. Um, And people get hung up on, um, (laughs) people get hung up on you know, how much REM sleep should I be getting? How much deep sleep should I be getting? Um, and there are ways to kind of boost our deep sleep, which would be things like exercise, reducing some of that caffeine intake. Um, and so there are ways to kind of, kind of uh, change that, but we can't really control how we progress through each of those stages across the night. We can maybe adjust some of the overall overall numbers, but we can't really control how we progress through these stages. And um, so non-REM sleep is is important for memory, uh, cl- clearing out some of the toxins in the brain. That's Those are some of the processes that are occurring during non-REM sleep as well as that hormone release. And then REM sleep is kind of where we assimilate Uh, previous experiences with our current experiences that are happening to try and consolidate some of those memories and really kind of put the whole picture together of our experiences that occurred from the previous day.
0: That's super, super interesting. So I think there's two things that really come to mind that might impact sleep. I don't know how much each of these does, but Uh, alcohol, and then cannabis consumption. Are those two things that people need to consider as to potentially being detrimental to sleep?
1: Yes. So alcohol can help us fall asleep more quickly, similar with uh, cannabis, Um, but it does impact the quality of your sleep. So with cannabis in particular, we see reductions in REM sleep, Um, And we also see that with alcohol as well, but people may think that oh, you know I can fall asleep much quick quickly much more quicker Um, That must mean that this is improving the quality of my sleep, but in reality It's it's not it's actually leading to poor sleep quality
0: That's actually that's really really interesting so on the flip side of that as we kind of wind down here Um, Are there any supplements that have been shown in the literature to be positively impactful for sleep or perhaps help us fall asleep or get better sleep?
1: So melatonin is one that people are, um, at least a lot in the younger athlete community, we're seeing a lot more melatonin use. And kids are, you know, they're nicknaming it Mellie's. And um, but what we see with melatonin is number one, you don't—it's not a regulated substance, so you don't really know what you're getting. And so there was a research study showing that the range of what you're actually getting is just completely way off of what the label is saying. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. You want to make sure if you are using melatonin that you use uh, a reputable company. But melatonin in general is, is more valuable for jet lag um, and it works in more of a circadian rhythm type of scenario. So if someone is preparing for jet lag, melatonin might be a, a good use of a supplement in that instance. Or if there's a night owl out there who's really having a hard time falling asleep before 2 a.m., um, taking melatonin would... Potentially be useful in that instance. I would say that tart cherry juice is actually kind of an up and coming supplement that has been shown to help people with insomnia as well as improve the quality of sleep in just the average person. So, increasing some of the deeper stages of sleep, just improving that overall sleep quality. So, I'd say maybe tart cherry juice would be something to look into. Personally, I don't really use any supplements. There's nothing out there that's so convincing that, to me that I would use a supplement. I think there's so many more um, bigger rocks out there that people can do. For example, putting away your phone an hour before bedtime um, that you can do that will help versus just taking a pill.
0: Yeah, that that's actually segues nicely into essentially what would be my last question, which are given the populations that you work with, all the practice you have, the education you have in the sleep space, what are some of the best practices that people can implement to increase the quality of their sleep, to get into a routine with sleep? And you can fire these off as rapidly as you like or dive into them as much as you like. But I know that there's a lot of things out there that people can do. You hit on one uh, big one with the phone, but what else can people do to really start to move towards better, more restful sleep?
1: Getting lots of light in the morning is really important to help set our circadian rhythms uh, to the current time. So that is a big one, especially, you know, a lot of us are, are inside more, with the COVID-19 recommendations, you know, we're supposed to be in our house as much as possible, which is great. But trying to get maybe a walk in the morning, getting at least 30 minutes of light exposure in those morning hours is really, really useful for people at improving their sleep quality. So that's a big one that I think people can um, take advantage of is just trying to get light exposure in the morning outside, which is way brighter than our indoor lighting. So that's why it's important to get outside. Even on a cloudy day, we see much greater light exposure when you're outside versus being indoors. Uh, Another thing that I would recommend would be having a good pre-sleep routine. So um, starting off with a bedtime alarm. So setting an alarm about an hour before you want to be in bed. And that will be a reminder for you to, you know, put away those electronic devices, maybe take a warm bath or shower, which has been shown to um, make it easier to fall asleep. Another another tip would be having a to-do list. So writing a to-do list, which will help offload those thoughts from your mind and make it easier to fall asleep. Um, And then just kind of incorporating maybe reading a paper book before bed, which kind of activates that uh, relaxation system, just doing more relaxing activities um, is really, really great for people. So having that light exposure in the morning, having a good pre-sleep routine, making sure your sleep schedule is consistent is really important, Um, potentially adding in a nap watching your caffeine, alcohol, cannabis consumption. Um, And then another one, I would say, kind of a a neat tip that people might not be aware of is to bank sleep leading into sleep deprivation. And we tell this a lot for athletes. Um, They, you know, a lot of times they'll be anxious prior to an important competition. They may not sleep very well that night before. So we'll tell them, get lots of sleep leading into that in the week or two before that important competition. So go to bed a little bit earlier, maybe sleep in a little bit later, kind of keep that consistent across those one to two weeks prior to that competition. And then they perform better during that competition than if they were just getting their regular amount of sleep. And so the research has shown that getting more sleep leading into an important event, or even leading into sleep deprivation period. So if you're, let's say, traveling, or maybe you have a night shift coming up, um, if you can get more sleep prior to that, you're going to perform better with less sleep during that period of sleep loss.
0: That's interesting. You said something that kind of piqued my interest. You said the word night shift, which I believe – my phone and most people's phones have a mode that you can turn on called a night shift mode that supposedly limits how much I guess blue light comes out of the phone Uh, that is that a replacement for putting the device away or should people genuinely just put the phone away and kind of not really worry about the night shift mode
1: I think having the night shift mode and um, on Android devices you can use, there's a lot of phones now come standard with having a blue light filter. Mm -hmm. So you can program that on your phone. Um, There's apps out there for our laptops, such as uh, Twilight is an app that you can use that will gradually reduce some of that blue light depending on when the sun sets in your area. So those Yes, I think absolutely at a minimum, people should be using those and potentially maybe even adding wearing sunglasses, maybe wearing blue light blocking glasses, which will block out the blue light, which our circadian rhythms are most sensitive to in that two to three hours before bedtime. So that's when we're most sensitive to the blue light. Um, So having those apps on is is important for people especially in you know let's say three hours before bedtime Um, but then putting the devices away an hour before bed because it's not just about the blue light it's about the interaction with the device um, the potential things that you're looking at so can stress you out as well so if i'm watching the news an hour before bedtime and I have the blue light uh, blocker on my phone. You know that's not really gonna it, the the actual news and the stress from that news and the anxiety from that news is gonna impact my sleep quality more than just potentially the blue light.
0: That's really good advice. I think that that's something that probably could have gotten overlooked in all this. And that's just that the simple act of kind of being stimulated that late could impact the restfulness um, of our sleep. Last question I have is, uh, does temperature and does darkness of your sleep area impact sleep in any way?
1: Yes, it does. So you want to keep your sleep environment like a cave, cool, dark, and quiet. And for me, um, this was kind of a recent switch for me. Um, about six months ago, I stayed at a cabin in Golden, British Columbia. It was, um, there was electricity to to the cabin, but there were no noises. There was, it was pitch black. And I, this really made me realize when I stayed at this cabin, I slept amazing. All my whole entire family slept in. And, um, when I would wake up, I woke up during the middle of the night once, Opened my eyes, literally put my hand in front of my face and I could not see my hand. So that really made the difference for me to change up my sleep environment at home. And so I ended up getting uh, blackout curtains, blackout shades. So I have a pull down shade. I have blackout curtains on top of that. I, um, I never really had electronic devices or anything in my room. But now um, I wear earplugs, I wear a mask, um, and I think that's really made a difference in my, my overall sleep quality. So for people, I think it's really important to know that your sleep environment is, is very important and what can you do to help make it more dark, cooler, and quiet. So you mentioned temperature. Our body naturally, our te- our body temperature naturally drops when we fall asleep. So having a cool environment is, is important for that good sleep quality.
0: That's awesome. So if you guys get nothing else from this, just know that if you can't sleep, you needn't look any further than golden British Columbia. <laughs> Rent a cabin out there and you'll be just fine. Um, so Amy, thank you so much for your time today. Just in closing one quick question. Um, you've obviously achieved a lot of success. You work in a very prestigious role with a lot of really, really, uh, important agencies, people, um, uh, what is a piece of advice that you would give to the listeners that's helped you achieve the success that you've achieved?
1: I would say, um, Don't worry about your age. I guess I would say like when it comes to your goals, don't think that you're too old to accomplish this or too old to accomplish that. Um, For me, I started my PhD, my master's and PhD when I was 30 years old. Um, And then, you know, from that point, I, I had kids, you know, it was like, I knew I wanted to get a PhD and but I was like, Oh, I want to have kids at the same time. And, um, but for me, I just went for it. Uh, started off a little bit older, had kids during my graduate graduate work during my master's PhD and postdoc. And I didn't let age kind of prevent me from, um, starting something new.
0: That's awesome. I think that's fantastic advice. And again, guys, uh, Amy, is one of if not the top sleep scientist out there and if you want to find more of her content you can find it where at amy
1: so i'm on twitter i'm on instagram at sleep for sport and then i'm also developing a website sleepwelltowin.com um, I'm still working on that. Uh, could take a little while, but, uh, hoping for that to be up for people to look for some good content there.
0: That's awesome. Amy, thank you so much for your time. I'll be sure for everybody listening to link, um, both social media handles Amy mentioned in the comments below. Uh, or in the podcast notes. So you guys will have plenty of stuff to explore and dive into as well as probably some of the other podcasts you've been on. Amy, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. So that wraps things up for the episode today with Dr. Amy Bender. And remember you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at sleep, The number four sport, sleep for sport. And again, I want to thank Amy so much for coming on. And again, encourage you guys to take advantage of that eight to seven to nine hours a day that you're sleeping think about that as an opportunity to become a better athlete, to become better at what you're focusing on in every avenue of your life. Sleep really is an incredible performance enhancing thing we all have access to. Do me a favor, leave me a five-star rating and written review on iTunes or whatever the heck you listen to on. Makes a big difference. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Remember, it's always a good day to be a good person. Peace.